going to be chatting with someone who I haven't actually met in person, but I have chatted to via Skype when I was being interviewed for his podcast series, the Retropopic Radio. I'm going to introduce now Mr. Neil Saint. Welcome, Neil. Great, great to be on here. I bet it is. Thank you for agreeing to join me today. It was very kind. <laughs> Pleasure. Now, we'll get stuck straight into it, shall we? And then we'll get um, to your show a bit later during the interview. Now, there are no prizes for guessing that you're from the UK with that accent. So where exactly in the UK were you born? That's obviously straightforward in the sense I was uh, born in North London, but I spent most of my time living in the southwest of England. And for listeners that aren't aware of the geography of the UK, I suppose the best way of putting it is it's around the Bristol area. Um, it was it was about fifty miles from Bristol, so for Aussies that's you know a piece of cake to get to. But uh, yeah, so I mean I'm from originally from London. Okay, great. Um, so, Neil, when did you first develop your passion for music? It's strange because I've done hundreds of interviews with, uh, you know, it, musicians that are well-known, like, say, Jim Kerr, lead singer of Simple Minds, to musicians starting out to a famous icons of, of Australian music like Ross Wilson. And occasionally I hit onto the same explanation as what I'm going to give you about my obsession with with music not very often though uh, basically the way I see my obsession is that I was in a very unusual family in the sense was 15 years older than me uh, my older sister and my youngest sibling who was my youngest sister was 12 years older than me Right. Um, and I'm a child of the, the mid-60s, so that, that's when I was born. So you can imagine in the UK, uh, there was a wide range, there was three siblings, three elder siblings, of music being played. My brother was perhaps more into, into rock. My sister was into folk, for instance, Cat Stevens. And uh, that's my younger sister. And my elder sister was really into the girl girl groups, the sort of Supremes and the female vocalists like Petula Clark, who I've interviewed. Um, so I suspect it was that. I think in the womb I was hearing lots and lots of music. Oh, you would have been. And yeah, that's the thing. I mean, I, I had a conversation with someone and, and they said exactly the same as that. I thought, wow, that's with me. And I suspect that's where it came from. Oh, okay. So do you actually play any instruments yourself? No, I tried when I was a teenager. I had acoustic guitar lessons. It was three blind mice with this old geezer who really didn't have any feel for pop music. <laughs> so that got scrapped pretty quickly. Uh, I actually bought a, a really ropey bass guitar and didn't really do much with it. Yeah. Uh, I certainly came from a generation where music was so important that you know, it's second nature to think about maybe playing in a group. Yeah. You know, I was certainly from that generation. But uh, I suppose the nearest I got to it was when I was at uni. We had a group called The Dark Room, and I was the lead vocalist. And one of my flatmates was a music student and did a voice test. And 
unkindly or kindly informed me I had a very limited range. So oh, I think fr- fr- from that from that moment on, I realised mm, I don't think I'm going to make it in music in terms of performing. But I, I think I would have been probably a lead singer. I can't imagine having the patience really. Although I'm very patient with my editing. Uh, certainly when I was younger, learning um, a musical instrument. Yeah, yeah. So it's a pity your friend didn't actually then go on to say that that range could be developed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, 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 David Hillary's my number one podcast fan, so I, I've got <laughs> to be careful where I where I tread now. Um, yeah, no, he's he's a very loyal fan. Uh, yes, I, I suppose he could have, but uh, the more I think about, it, the more I realise I, I should have stuck at an instrument. And I've got uh, a ukulele, and, and once I um have the time I want to be the best ukulele player in the world if I can but uh, you know I doubt whether I'm going to have the time to do that I, I tend to sort of when I'm focused about something I really get going but um, I'm 55 years of age you know I'm not going to be a rock star so, no you know, no I'd, well yeah I don't I don't like the idea of being ageist uh, this passion started in my early 50s so I've made a, a, a fair bit of ground with it yeah definitely Okay, so what was your first job then when you left school? Well, it's difficult to say about first job. You know, you did all sorts of different part-time jobs, like mushroom picking even. I remember that. And uh, I I remember sort of petrol pump attending when I was a student. But, I mean, it was as simple as this. You you know, I I went straight to university, you know. I was in an all-boys grammar school. It was a conveyor belt, you know, and at one stage... I was thinking about going to the college, which would have been a, a rebellious decision. Mm. Uh, you know, basically, we're, we're spoon-fed academic success in the sense that there were just a bunch of us that were intelligent because, you know, in those days, there was what was called the 11+. plus. So you had a, a school that was consisted of the intelligentsia, really, and I was part of that, fortunately, which, you know, it meant that you were with a bunch of people in class that were, were bright. And you were uh, encouraged to continue with your education. Well, to a certain extent, I didn't like it. I was a bit of a rebel and I, I, I wasn't particularly bright for the intelligentsia in my class. You know, I, I certainly wasn't a scientist and they were the ones that were encouraged. I was probably the brightest non-scientist. I mean, I ended up getting a, a few academic awards, you know, in the end, but that was through determination, really. Yeah. Um, so, so it was always going to be either rebelling by going to Yeovil College. Uh, Yeovil's the home of PJ Harvey, by the way. So let's talk in music terms there. That's where PJ Harvey comes from. All right, yeah. Um, yeah. And I decided not to. I decided, well, look, this is crazy. It's a conveyor belt here, so I'll carry on and really knuckle down rather than what I was doing before and, um, you know, became determined to go to Keele University in the Midlands and I didn't know what I wanted to do so I mean ultimately it was going to be something professional you know after leaving university and I I like the idea funnily enough of of working with people one-to-one and I always wanted to interview famous people quite frankly Mm. I always wanted to do that I I used to um, read books on interviewing so did you study any journalism sorry well, that's it. You know, I was, I was, um, I was actually offered a radio journalism course, but I just didn't have the patience to go on to do it. Oh. It's a very complicated family circumstance, where, whereby there was absolutely no way I was going back home. 
so I was determined to just get cracking with something. So I ended up, my first job really, in, in answer to your question, was uh, after qualifying on a postgraduate diploma course in careers guidance. So I was a school careers advisor. That was my first job. £8,000 a year salary. Oh my gosh. For Devon County Council. (laughs) And I had um, a Paul car, which had what I call a Blue Peter badge on the side of it. It was a mini. Uh, I had use of a Paul car. Yeah. I used to uh, drive around different schools. Some of them were private schools, all-girls schools. Some of them were, you know, in uh, state schools. And, uh, you know, at 21 years of age, give careers guidance. (laughs) Crazy. So so that was my professional thing. Offering guidance to people when you don't know what you really want to be doing yourself. I mean, it's ridiculous, isn't it? Yeah. But, but, you know, to be honest, I I, I don't know. I'm I'm actually very patient at editing, but I I am quite impatient. And um, what I'm doing now is what what I've always wanted to do. Um, but I'm a bit thrown by it because, you know, I'm, I'm probably interviewing about six interviews a week. Mm. And, you know, I, I can go into a bookshop now and look at the rock biographies and, and choose a biographer and have a fairly good chance of getting hold of them for a podcast. Yeah. You know, for instance, my big interview around the corner is the biographer on Janis Joplin. Mm. Um, and you'll see it in all the good bookstores it's on general release um that's what i wanted to do yeah <laughs> you know yeah. always wanted to do that so if i look back at my 19 year old self when i was thinking about choosing a career i mean my 19 year old self would say wow that's so cool but on the other hand they'd say uh 55 oh and also you're not earning any money yeah yeah oh. Yeah, so, well, you know, that's the weird thing about it. It's not that weird, really. It's not really that uncommon. A lot of people do find themselves um, not doing what they really want to do until quite later on in life, yeah, and then, yeah. yeah, not necessarily doing it for any money. <laughs> well, it, well, I have to say it is weird because I would have thought of it as a profession then. Yeah, um, and that's what I mean. I, I, I agree with you. Now it's not weird, but but then it would have been extremely weird. Oh, absolutely. My goodness me, that's fantastic. That's great news. I'm going to be doing that in the future. 55, though, that's pretty much retirement age. You're joking. <laughs> Talking to Jim Kerr of Simple Minds and people like that every week and not earning any money from it and having a global audience of 130 countries with 34,000 listeners. You're yep. not earning any money from that. That's just nuts. I can't believe that's going to happen. I know. It's bizarre, isn't it? <laughs> so there you go. Yep. I'm Ooh, not thank complaining. You. No, no, no. I know you're not complaining because I'm I'm sort of coming from a, a similar place myself at the moment, Neil. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, I know. There's opportunities for us, but it's not necessarily earning opportunities. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll move along then. Um, now, I've noticed that you've um, worked with uh, children with special needs. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, what got that, you interested in that field? Right. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's, you know, thanks for picking up on that. Um, yeah, what happened... I do a bit of research. I, no, that's cool. I was interviewing hundreds of school children. So, it, obviously, it was good practice for what was around the corner when I was in my 50s. Yeah. So I'm, not, I'm not suggesting that 
You didn't waste uh, your time, no. <laughs> no, I didn't waste my time, exactly. And, and you know, some of my, um, I, I suppose, ability to, to empathise or something like that mm. must have developed from that, for sure. Mm-hmm. But it was generally fairly boring, I have to say, as, as probably people can imagine. So uh, what happened is that I had a caseload. I had, a, I had to have a caseload of special needs students as part of my uh, role as the Hon- Honiton Community College careers advisor, Honiton's in Devon, mm. and I thought, oh my God, what does this mean? I was only a young chap, and I had um, a bunch of moderate learning difficulty students, and uh, I, I must admit, I was quite shocked to start with, and I also went on to have a caseload later on of severe learning difficulty students, and, and that was quite an eye-opener. Uh, I mean, you know, they, they didn't have any verbal capacity and really, you were being a social worker with their family yeah. as to what they would go on to. Mm-hmm. So it was a bit of a shock, but I enjoyed it. I actually enjoyed that role of being part of a team deciding what uh, would be, maybe not the best thing, but what would be, with obviously the student's input. I wouldn't say the student was always central, though, particularly with some of the level of needs that the student would have had. Yeah. Um, what, what it was best for them to do on from leaving school or college or, if you like, um, specialised provision, really. Mm. So I, I did, I enjoyed that. I mean, it was, it was a range of different special needs. You, you were talking about the visual impaired, hearing impaired. I, I became uh, quite experienced in, in all those sorts, sorts of uh, special needs and really I, I, w- I would put myself in the category of being a sort of caseworker in terms of their future it was like it was really was like being a, um, a social worker and, and sometimes you were actually central in the decision making because you were the representative of the local authority in terms of making the final decision so in some ways you had more responsibility even than a social worker yeah so, that, no, that, was, that was challenging um, you know, some of the special needs were such they were, they were very extreme. You couldn't really get too much of a relationship going with the actual student themselves. Uh, they can't talk, and their IQ, I suppose, if you put it in sort of simple terms, was ex- exceptionally low. Mm. Then you, you'd see them, you'd, you'd observe them, but you'd really be working more with, uh, for want of a better term, their, their educator or their carer. Uh, and the, the parent might well have, you know, with the local authority, agreed for them to be in residential provision. Yeah. Hmm. That's interesting. Okay. Um, so when did you first come to Australia and why? What, what, um, what was the trigger? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the route way to Australia is a very complicated route way. First of all, we lived in France. I mean, basically, um, I got to the point in my early 30s where I'd met Alex, my wife, in Hertfordshire, where I was working effectively to start with as, as a special needs careers advisor. And then eventually I progressed into sort of like middle management. Um, and my wife, Alex, is a lawyer. So, the, the bottom line was that we, we had a, more or less a conversation about the idea of not 
remaining in the rat race. Mm. And we decided that we would get a, a holiday um, caravan, really, in, in France and go across there. Because, I mean, the climate in the UK is appalling. Mm. So we, we ended up uh, getting hold of this caravan in the southwest of France. Not the south of France, but southwest of France. Uh, it was between La Rochelle and Bordeaux. So the bottom line is, as soon as the school bell went, by then I was the homemaker and uh, looking after our children. Mm. There was such a dichotomy between what I was earning in local government and what Alex was earning in, in the private sector as a lawyer. It was it was sensible. Yeah. So I'd rush off with I'd rush off with the kids and go across to the southwest of France, and Alex would eventually come over with her three weeks of leave, um, and then. As time went on, we did this about three years as the children were growing up. We've got two children, a girl and a boy. And we decided we would buy and go the whole hog. So we went native and we bought this place in the Douai, which is not even a hamlet. It's near the very beautiful town of Sant. Spelled exactly as my surname, apart from ES at the end. Mm. It's very historical. It's got a Roman amphitheater there. And I lived there effectively with my kids and was there learning the language and settling them in whilst I was, believe it or not, eventually coaching cricket. But let's not go there. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that was a bit weird. But, but anyway, I was over there. And the idea was that Alex would come over and she would live there. But that wasn't possible. So all of a sudden, we were faced with the likelihood that I would carry on doing what I'm doing looking after the kids and Alex wouldn't have any means of coming over and living with us so my daughter was getting very upset in particular naturally uh, yeah. so we we had to make a decision and believe it or not the decision was that we would go and live in Australia because by that stage her company only had that as the offer on the table whereby we could all live under the same roof so we st that's the reason <laughs> obviously it's a very long explanation yeah. so we started off in Perth and Perth didn't Perth was good fun. I enjoyed Perth. It didn't work out that well in the sense that Alex didn't have enough work there. Mm. So the reason why we relocated to Sydney, which is where we're living now, in a really lovely um, uh, inner west suburb called mm. Annandale, mm -hmm. which we've lived with, uh, lived in, um, you know, for five years now since we we actually moved here. That was the reason. Yeah, we we relocated because that was the way Alex could get. Uh, the right level of work that she needed for carrying on with her work as a, an immigration corporate lawyer. Oh, okay. Um, hmm. I mean, she basically helps people get pushed around the, uh, the world, the globe. Oh, that's, um, a, that, yeah, yeah. that's quite an interesting position, really. Yeah, uh, yeah maybe. <laughs> I'm not going to go there. No. Um, <laughs> it, it, I mean, it's a challenging job, yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, it's a, it, it, you know, she, she's worked hard qualification-wise, and she has a lot of responsibility, so for sure. But uh, that's the reason why we came to Sydney. Mm. Yeah, so there you go. It's it's quite good, I suppose, in this day and age to fly the flag for being the junior partner in terms of wage earning. And my wife, with you know, going away from gender stereotypes, is the senior partner in terms of earning. So. Uh, yeah, no, it's good. It's good that we've got that uh, flag to fly. Yeah, absolutely. So did you do any um, paid work once you settled in Sydney? Or Yeah, well, well the thing is, the, the, 
the cricket coaching actually went really well because I ended up winning. Because um, I was I was joked to my kids. I'm, I'm actually I was actually a world champion. Um, I actually won this uh, world cricket award from the ICC. It was the Volunteer of the Year award. So I mean, it's, it's like being a world champion at Conkers or something, really, isn't it? But <laughs> you know, I actually did get my name in Wisdom. Can you believe it? Oh wow! So, so yeah, I mean, basically, the bottom line is nothing was going on. You see, in France. So I got the backing of the chair of French cricket to coach after school cricket. Uh, so I ended up working with these in these after school facilities at, at schools. You know, uh, primary schools around the Charente Maritime, Maritime mm-hmm. uh, region, um, showing them the skills of cricket. So ultimately, what I was thinking with the relocation to Australia is something along those lines. So I ended up working for Little Kickers franchise. That was a soccer, preschool soccer coaching um, franchise. And then um, Jungle Sports, which was a multi-sports franchise. And then I started to think, well, this is obviously an area to mm. education and also with my, my background. And then I set up my own tutoring business, uh, largely because my daughter has specific learning difficulties and uh, to start with I was a dyslexic tutor uh, and then I started to set up my own tutoring business and and got um, students as as well and gradually as the children were getting older that that was the right time to to change and that's when I did my masters in primary teaching which was online and I think that's where all the interviewing came from in a way because I was doing these little assignments where you had to completely absorb yourself mm. in research. And I was knocking them out, you know, literally knocking them out the park. I became very good at essay writing. You know, I think I got higher distinctions in every single essay assignment I had apart from one. Mm. Um, and that's how I do my interviewing. I basically look at it as an essay. I look at the beginning, middle and end. Yes. Um, you know, not everybody does that. No. <laughs> Still, you know. Um, so that that was really where the interviewing came in because I, I basically I got my MA and it's obvious to me I'll be a primary teacher. And I thought, well, now I know what I'm going to be doing in the real world. What about a hobby? You know, what, what am I going to do as a hobby? Okay, that so is that when radio. you decided to, to go into the whole radio? Yeah, I mean, yeah. it was always there. Like I say, I mean, my first choice was, Way back, way back in the midst of time, literally my first desire almost was to do the radio journalism course, which I got on, incidentally, as a post-grad course, but I just didn't, didn't want to go out and get the experience of working for community radio. That's more or less what they said. They, they said, look, we'll take you, but you need to get more experience. Mm. You know what it's like. And I just thought, no, I don't want to do that. I, I need to get going. Um, so it was always there. I mean, I had... Um, a radio show at university and I also did hospital radio but but the thing is you know when I did hospital radio I never knew I'd be I was getting whether I was getting an audience yeah and uh, it was a pretty shambolic affair it's in St Albans in Hertfordshire and you know the idea is that you you went around the wards and made your presence felt that you existed as a as a station and um, of course people are suffering they're not necessarily going to suddenly change to a pretty amateurish setup and, and when they're suffering they're maybe not even thinking about listening to the radio so it's pretty shambolic 
but yeah, two triple R came along. Uh, so that's what it was. It was um, with the interviewing. I think that that's really where that took off. But it, it was. It, I was cynical about the radio mm. to start with at two triple R because I thought, yeah, I mean, it's it's a nice challenge getting the course under your belt. Yeah. Uh, and having a show, but is anybody going to listen? Well, that's the thing. Yeah. You ne- yeah, you don't know with community radio, do you, whether people yeah, are going to no. listen or not? I, I guess and it's up to you as well to make the show interesting enough to for the listeners to want to tune in. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I'm never sure if they listen now, um, but, you know, I'm certainly not going to denigrate to Triple R. I'm very pleased to be there. Yeah. Um, but I certainly know people listen to the podcast. Well, absolutely. So on the subject of podcasting, so when did you decide to start that up? There was, there was a change of management and, um, at 2RRR and um, I started to get things pushed through about opportunities to, to talk to people. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's not the most organised of, of areas, community radio, and we had the a manager who wasn't pushing stuff through previously so I'm mean, certainly again I'm not going to say anything negative about that person but that wasn't happening mm. but, so that happened and the first thing I that caught my fancy was the opportunity of talking with Steve Hackett mm. of Genesis and I'm Genesis are my favorite group so okay. um, it was quite easy for me to say yeah I'll give that a go I, I, I don't know some people I think are put off aren't they they're, they're thinking oh no I just don't fancy doing that it's nerve-wracking but I don't know. I, I was at a stage, quite frankly, where I wondered if I was getting any listenership. Mm. And I was getting to the point where I thought, I might have to give this up because I'm just really playing my record collection. Yeah. You know? So it came along at the right time. And that, that went relatively well. I did, re- I did record it, which is annoying. <laughs> uh, it, it, you know, it's one of those things where I think you, you're not... You know, when you start out, you're not used to the system of what you can do. Yeah. So I just went ahead and interviewed Steve, and I've got an interview coming up with Steve now again, and it'll be my fifth interview with him. Mm. So he's always a good omen, is Steve Hackett. But it's weird, because if, if, any, if I chose anyone to interview first of all, it would have been him. Um, his guitar sound in Genesis, I mean, it's amazing. It's, it, it's incredible that he was my first interview. Yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't say he's a friend, but he certainly knows me, and he's more than happy whenever... Like, better be careful, because he might listen. Pretty much <laughs> more than happy when, whenever I'm asking for an interview to say yes. So it's pretty, it's pretty incredible from my perspective. Absolutely. But, you know, that happened. Yes. Then yeah. another one came along, and that was the moment, I think, when things changed. It was the, the guy that... The lead singer of the Bay City Rollers. All right, yeah. Ewan, that came along, and I said to my wife, I don't know, I don't really like the Bay City Rollers. Shall I take this one or not? <laughs> and, and I decided I'd take it, because then I thought, hold on a minute, the light bulb came on. You know, it's like, it's called retro popping, and the idea is that you go across the whole spectrum of pop. Let's just keep going. Let's see if I can get loads and loads of interviews. I was actually going to say, why golden age of 20th century pop music? But yeah, keep going. (laughs) I mean, that's it. I mean, I I suddenly thought, well, hold on a minute. Let's be be true to my brand. It's not about me and what I like. Let's be true to my brand. Correct. Uh, And then um, Nez was the first interview. I've now interviewed him twice. Um, And then it really just got going. And I, I started to get the the bit between my teeth and I um, somehow got hold of Rick Buckler of the jam and 
the president of Sierra Records. I mean, that's a fantastic story, Sierra Records. They're, they're a really interesting record label that have really her- heritage releases from the past. There's Americana, really, I suppose you might say, people like Gene, Gene Clark and Graham Parsons. And, yeah. uh, the president, John Delgato, is a fantastic anecdotalist. So, so that got me going. And, and people listen to that. And, and Dan Ropeck, from that podcast, asked if, he, if I'd like to interview him. And he'd, he'd been the biographer for um, um, Chris Wood, who was the, if you like, multi-instrumentalist for traffic. So, yeah. you know, things started to, to snowball a little bit. But yeah, I got to a point where I was literally going crazy. I was, I was taking all interviews that were possible to take and getting hold of publicists, you know, getting known with publicists. I was just becoming a real machine. Mm. And, um, you know, I think there's no substitute for experience. No, well, that's right. And you've got to get your name out there somehow, right? <laughs> In the beginning, especially. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I would say that you've... Um, develop quite a bit of respect amongst those whom you have interviewed which is why it's so easy yeah. for you to get them back again i think that's it you, you want to keep the quantity and the quality high i mean that's all you can control i always try and keep it simple when i'm teaching you know it's a, when, when you're teaching pe because i teach pe change the distance of the throw that makes it more challenging or you, you know um so you can do that in terms of interviewing by doing a different genre that's that's more challenging so you, you want to try and keep it simple you want to keep the the numbers high and you want to keep the quality high as well the quality more than the numbers really so yeah now it's dropping off in terms of what i want to do with the quant- quantity but i want to keep the, the quality high now i think i think i've got to that that stage but, absolutely yeah, you try and do different challenges you try and interview biographers Someone you don't know, who you know has got a footprint. Someone who's groundbreaking, like the Lunar Tractors recently. I think they're groundbreaking in terms of the broken folk that they're, they're doing. It's really worth, worth checking them out. Yeah. And also, I needed to immerse myself in Australian music. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't know too much about Australian music. Uh, my view of Australia when I was younger was Skippy the Bush Kangaroo. Uh, well, that's better than felt, some, I tell you. <laughs> yeah. I still felt that Olivia Newton-John was, was British. Mm. I had a bit of a crush for her. Uh, I didn't really know too much about Australia. as surfing, I suppose, you know. So I had to get hold of the encyclopedia, the encyclopedia from 2RRR, Kev Cherry, uh, who presents Sydney Sounds uh, on Saturdays. And, and he sort of briefed me on... Australian music, and I decided I'd do a um, series called The Outsider's Guide to Australian, the History of Australian Pop, mm. or I should phrase that, The Outsider's Guide to the 20th Century History of Australian Pop, Right. Yeah. and The Outsider was me, he's a Brit, so I literally researched that with Kev's help, and managed to get quite a lot of guests through that, like Russ Morris. Mm-hmm. Um, Lonnie, Lonnie Lee from way back, he was very nice. Brian Cadd, Bob Spencer, who was guitarist with the Skyhooks. I love the Skyhooks. Yes, they're a great band, yes. I love Skyhooks. I've got a real fondness for Skyhooks. So, so that was great. That was a good experience. Um, 
so I try and keep that going as well. I try and keep the Australian side going. Uh, I try and keep it stupid, really. Mm. So who, out of the people that you've um, interviewed, Australian artists, who's been your favourite so far? Well, I've got got to edit Ross Wilson. I mean, um, I had him in recently in the studio and there's a picture of me with him and uh, it's ironic because uh, Kev said straight away, you've got to get hold of Ross Wilson. I couldn't get hold of Ross. You know, all of a sudden... Is that when he was touring, maybe? (laughs) Well, no, I don't don't know. I think in those days I probably was dying out. Perhaps my uh, footprint wasn't as big as it is now. I don't know. But certainly I couldn't get hold of him. I tried and uh, all of a sudden he dropped into my lap. I couldn't believe it. it was literally, I think, December, actually. Yeah. There was this publicist saying, oh, uh, do you fancy interviewing Ross Wilson? He's he's prepared to come into the studio sort of like tomorrow. And I'm thinking, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> it's Ross Wilson, for God's sake. Well, that would have been near the end of their tour because uh, I saw them play, um, him play here with Mondo Rock late last year at the Gov. And I've got a, um, a video on my Banded About page of them doing uh, Cruel World. Mm. Mm, there you go. <laughs> but, I mean, the, the reason was that he was part of the package at the Sydney Opera House. Um, you had, um, um, I think, Russ Morris is there, Brian Cabb is playing as well. There's this whole series of them doing sort of like um, Australian classic greatest hits mm. in Sydney, Sydney Opera House. Um, brought the house it was called that, that was specifically the reason yeah but um it, it was it was pretty surreal because you know I said, yeah of course i want you know i thought I'd stop stop everything and, and run really with that one um so literally i had ross and he was with me for about 70 minutes in the studio mm. so the, the sound quality is absolutely amazing oh it would be yeah <laughs> and he told me everything mm everything everything <laughs> everything about daddy cool seriously yeah that is going to be the best interview anyone's ever had wow and when's that, that coming out well that's the thing i've got to get at that one but, but but that was the thing that i was told by people is daddy cool you know eagle rock is arguably seen as the awesome absolutely that? yeah it's it's not just the stoners national anthem it's Everyone, He's done a lot of work, yeah. Mm, mm. (laughs) Yeah, amazing. He's a very talented man. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, So what about um, guests that you've had on your uh, program from Adelaide, seeing as I'm based in Adelaide? um, Let's talk about that. (laughs) There's been a few. Not not actually have come in, although I had uh, someone, a group recently, two of the group come in from Melbourne, Velvet Club, but uh, Nick Nick West, uh, a really talented so- soloist, mm-hmm. Jen Barrett, yes. who was with the Night Shift, mm-hmm. um, she's now using the moniker Isadora's Dream, right? Uh, 
RT Records I've, I've connected with, Ronnie Tahini. Uh, really, really those people, certainly to an, to an extent, Christian Mitzi, but he's from Melbourne, but he I know he's certainly got an audience in Adelaide. So. Yeah. No, Adelaide's not somewhere I'd ever been before until Ronnie Tahini of RT Records kindly invited me over and spent some time with with her. I mean, she's she's been a fantastic mentor. Um, so I don't know too much, but, um, you know, what, what can I say? I, I got involved with, um, oh goodness, it's terrible. When you get older, you, you, you sometimes lose names. Yes, I do that uh, all the time, Neil. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, no, I got it, I got it back now. I'm okay. So you cut, cut that out for a start. I, I was really lucky because fairly early on in the podcasting, Nigel Waters became a very loyal fan of what I did. And for anyone that's um, listening, Nigel is actually in my band, The Brass Pockets. There you go. Uh-huh. So that's where it all started with the Adelaide Connection. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he listened to the, the podcast and uh, to, to be honest, first of all, suggested I think about Jen because he was playing in Jen's band. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I got to know Jen really through, through Nigel. Uh, and then obviously... I got to hear of Brass Pocket. So really, Nigel, Nigel is something of, what can I say? He's a stalwart, isn't yeah. he? A stalwart. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, he's an absolute walking encyclopedia in, um, in the, in the <laughs> generation of music that you, you specialise in yourself. So, yeah. Hmm. But it was a shame because I wanted to see him, but I was told in no uncertain terms by Ronnie that he lived a long way from where I was staying. So it was never going to be a possibility. So I feel slightly embarrassed oh look we could have organized something (laughs) perhaps next time you're here we can organize a get together i Mm. would love to see nigel i really would i might you know send send out a big man hug to him and i will give him one thursday when i see him (laughs) yeah we'd love to meet up i I really believe that so nigel's been a great um great support really because i mean when you start getting people behind what you're doing and particularly if they're Australian, that opens so many doors. I mean, Ronnie Dass as well. Ronnie's been a great support over in Melbourne. And it's lovely, really. Mm. That side has been great. And I have to loyally fly the Australian flag. I mean, hey, good on you guys. Yeah, it's it's good. Look, I mean, it's lovely once people actually start to embrace what you're doing and believe in what you're doing and um, help you to get it out there, that's for sure. Well, it's, it's about community, isn't it, Di? I mean, we're, we're build, building up our communities. You're in my community. I'm in your community. That's right. We're not exclusive. It's about cooperation. It's not competition. No. It's about cooperation. It's and working about community together. building. That's right. Yeah. Mm. And it's all because of music. I mean, music's not good or evil. evil. It has no sentiment. It's It's... You know, you you either have good music or you don't. Yeah. But it, there's no there's no side to it. There's no nastiness. I mean, it's it's something to celebrate. Mm, absolutely, and people should be encouraging and promoting one another. Okay. Um. So, out of all of the podcast interviews that you've done over the years, can you name a favourite? I think, I mean, that's a that's a really good question. Um, probably the Stash the Roller one is a, is a favourite simply because he was such a central figure in the 60s rock scene in the UK. Yeah. Um, 
and he was the guy who was busted with Brian James. And I know that he was very candid when he spoke to me, and I've got something like an hour and a half podcast out there on Mixcloud for people to listen to. And, you know, it even includes arguably um, his experience with Sid Barrett on the trip that pushed Sid over the edge, which I thought, wow, this is unreal, the detail of this. Wow. Whether it happened, I don't know. But mm. um, w- whether it happened in the sense it was the last trip that pushed him over the edge, it definitely happened. The detail, you can tell it definitely happened. Yeah. So that was pretty extraordinary. Um, my favourite one, it always comes back to that, really, when I think about it. My favourite one is Jim Kerr of Simple Minds, because I love Simple Minds. Mm. Uh, and I love his singing... And I love, it might be cheesy, but I love Don't You Forget About Me. And it's such, um, there's something about that song. It makes me feel really, always makes me feel really positive. And I bought that song before I actually heard it, because I was so into Simple Minds at the time. You know, I love New Gold Dream. Mm. And to talk to someone, and it was such an interesting section of the interview about that song, he is such a guy I mean basically he wrote that song but that song was peddled to him by uh, Keith Forsey who was behind some of the psychedelic first songs mm. and it's still credited to Keith Forsey and I think it was also his partner so I think it's co- co-written and yet <laughs> Jim wrote that song mm. I said well you know I, I heard this you, you know you, you, this song was brought to you Jim what did you change in the song? And he said, I put all the good bits in. <laughs> and he did. He put all the freaking, he put all the good bits in. Mm. He put all the good bits in, honestly. All the great um, chorus bits at the end, he put all the good bits in. So I said to him, why were you not credited with um, the song then? You know, you, you practically wrote the song. He said, we just don't do that sort of thing. Mm, mm. And I just thought that was so cool because what that showed to me is that he wasn't bothered about songwriting credits. He was more wrapped up in writing Once Upon a Time, which was a massive hit, yeah. know, that, that album. But I thought that was so cool. He, he, he wasn't bothered about getting a credit for it at all, but he wrote that song, believe me. So it was a great yeah. pleasure to talk to Jim about that. And Jim was very, really lovely. I didn't, I didn't spend too much time with him, but he was wanting to give... He was very giving. He wanted to give the right answer um, to, to me and also the, the Australian audience that he thought he was going to get from it. And he was doing that by repeating the question mm-hmm. back before he gave the answer, which I thought was such a cool thing to do. He was very considerate. You know, he was thinking, right, I want to give the right answer. So whatever question I'd ask, it might be something like, um, I don't know, what was your feeling when you were playing at Glasgow Barrowlands or something like that? He would say, my feeling when I was playing at Glasgow Barrowlands, each time he was repeating the question back, which I thought was really cool, because he was just so much wanting to give the right answer. Yeah, know? yeah. But no, that was probably my favourite. Uh, he was a really great... Uh, I mean, I just probably because, you know, the interview went well, but... I mean, it was, it was a timed interview as well, because that's always quite difficult. So I had a conference call with Marky Ramone, arguably the last remaining 
member of the Ramones, and, and I only had 10 minutes. And it was similar with Jim. I only had about 15 minutes there, so I had yeah. to really get cracking. Oh, absolutely, get straight to the point, yeah. Mm. Yeah, so I was, I was quite pleased how it, how it turned out. Oh, it's great. Okay, so now is it, you're about to take a trip overseas, are you? Yeah. Uh, where are you That's off it. to? Well, my wife's, uh, believe it or not, on a secondment at the moment in Switzerland, so I'm going over there um, on Thursday. So um, I'm really, really looking forward to it because I have to say it's been terrible with the bushfires. Oh, it would be, yeah. In mm. um, Sydney, the air quality's been appalling. I mean, I don't know what's going on. The government not doing anything at all as far as I'm concerned. Mm. Um, I mean, it's a lot of money. I'm not saying it's an easy solution, but seriously, I feel ill because of the air quality and I'm not anywhere near the damn bushfires God only know what the, knows what the people feel like that are uh, experiencing the bushfires direct yeah absolutely to, to not get involved in anything horrendous um, it's been terrible the climate the microclimate has been majorly affected by it it's like living in an oven it's major majorly unhealthy here mm-hmm. yep I agree so, 100% <laughs> <laughs> I am going to be so pleased. I'm going to the world leader in clean air in Switzerland. Lucky you. We might all come with you. I know. <laughs> we all deserve. Let's get the whole... It's all escape. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The That'd be a, a huge Adelaide. protest, wouldn't it? One mass exodus oh, from yeah. Australia. <laughs> but, but governments, are, you know, they're just a joke, really, all over the world, mm-hmm. quite frankly. I mean, you know, if we can build communities with shared interests, I mean, that's got to be the way ahead. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, Neil, so what else have you got planned this this year for your podcast series? Uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm definitely trying to calm things down. Um, so having said that, I, I literally, I think it was probably about 4th of January, I looked at my um, hit list, I suppose, and cracked on to see if I could get uh, all of it sorted out for the early period in terms of who I was in- interviewing, and I've I, I made quite a lot of headway. And mainly, it's some um, album appreciation, like what we did with the pre- Pretenders. And as I said to Di, I'm going to say this publicly: you're my next one. Our conversation together about the Pretenders' first album is the next podcast that will be out there. So that's my. I honestly can say that. Excellent, and I'm going to hold you to it. And so will anybody that. Listens to this, I'll go, okay, when's that coming out? <laughs> I'm also holding you to sending me across some live stuff from Brass Point. Yes, we're recording it Thursday night. We're having a special get-together yeah, just to do that. <laughs> Literally, uh, listeners, I am coming back from Europe and I'm on the case with Di and my podcast on the Pretenders' first album, providing Di's sent across the live stuff. Um, it'll be the first thing on my agenda honestly um, but generally that's the way I'm going to go sort of album appreciation so I like the idea of getting musicians to talk you know musicians are great talkers in any case but the idea is that a musician chooses an album very close to the heart and talks about it and I want to con- continue in that vein I think it's a great idea I'd like to get some live sessions going I've got well, he's confirmed that I've got to get back to his manager just to make absolutely uh, sure about it happening. Steve Balby's going to come in and, and do, a, do a session who he might um, remember um, had uh, a role in, in Noiseworks. Yeah. Uh, wrote a few um, uh, songs there, you know, that were hits like Touch, for instance. Touch, mm-hmm. for instance, was a great song, I think. Um, 
so you know he's going to come and do a live session so i want to get that going more um but also the the author interviews i've got uh, like i say the um holly george warren the author of the janice jopton biography that's out doing the rounds she's ag- she's agreed to have me talk to her and Joel Salvin, who also wrote the uh, biography that was out last year on Altamont, he's agreed to talk to me about Monterey 67. So oh, that'll yeah. Be a, mm-hmm. that, that'll be a good one. So, so basically kind of looking at those themes really, Di, you know, the idea of album appreciations, authors, live sessions, and, and, and sort of one or two biggies here and there as well, hopefully, too. I've got uh, Lynn of the New Seekers. I mean, that's the thing. You start talking about the New Seekers and people think, I know the Seekers, yeah. but I don't really know the New Seekers. You Won't Find Another Fool Like Me was a top five in Australia, and Lynn was the lead vocalist on that. Yeah. So Lynn Paul has agreed to talk to me as well. So, you know, it depends on your era, doesn't it? Some people think, well, who the heck's that? But mm. some people say, oh, Lynn Paul, wow. So that's the thing with, with retro pop, isn't it? Yeah, but, it is. Um, yeah, I'm trying to keep the, the quality high with... The musician guest as well so that's really it see how it goes really mm. oh well, it sounds good i like the idea of having themes myself so yeah, yeah it makes it easy i think with, with your listenership they know what to expect don't they? and i'm not saying that the unexpected isn't good but it's what i try and do is, is make it into a magazine so mm. that you know what you can flick through with the magazine that's on offer that's right podcast you know Absolutely. Okay, and and they also know with yours that um, you're going to have something on air every Friday, that's right? Is that correct? That's right. I mean, I'm glad you mentioned that. I mean, I I don't want anyone to to think that I've got a negative view at all about community radio, but I just worry for us as the station 2RRR that we are getting listeners. Mm. Uh, You know, that's my worry. And my show goes out at 9 to 10 o'clock in the evening, Sydney time, mm. on Fridays every every week. So I'd yep. like to think it is listened to. I can point people to our website, to Triple R website. I mean, I'm not even going to say what it's what it's called because it's very easy to find through Google. Mm. And you'll see that there's a guide within that. It's a very easy to use guide as well. You can actually have a look at each of the programs that are there. We do have a lot of country. We do have a lot of chat. Mm. But... You know, some of those programs are very good. Yeah, absolutely. And I will include the links to um, your different programs and things in the description field of this podcast. So, yeah. Yeah. I I mean, it's very difficult to know with community radio what goes on with the listenership. But by golly, it's great we've got community radio because we're free to broadcast whatever we feel is quality and that is not anything to do with the commercial side of things that's right and quality and of interest to the community yeah because we don't have playlists that's right Mm. no it's i i believe in it i think more people should be involved in community radio and Mm. should be tuning in for sure Mm. yeah i think you know we have a wide range of different shows we certainly have a very proud um range of ethnic minority ethnic minority programs for instance um that's it's very good i think across the board there with community radio stations Mm. so you know we're very proud of our ethnic minority programs as well 
we end our chat today, I'm going to ask Neil 20 quick random questions or as many as we can get through in the space of a, of a minute to close the interview. Um, now, Neil, what I want you to do is say the first thing that comes to mind. So don't think about it or don't um, offer no, an explanation as to why right. you've given me that answer. Okay. Because <laughs> uh, if you start doing that, we've got not a hope in hell of actually getting to the end. And uh, nobody has actually made it through all 20 yet. So... <laughs> So right. we'll give I've it a try. Okay, and I'm just about to get my timer ready because uh, we'll do this properly exactly so one 20, minute. I've got to answer 20 questions in a particular time. In a space, yep. It's just basically one word answers. Okay. You, you ready? <laughs> and your yep. time starts now. What was the first concert you went to? Uh, Quick. That, I mean, that's a difficult one, actually. No explanation. Uh, <laughs> kid, 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 kid Creole and the Coconuts. Yeah, I got it. Favourite song? Don't You Forget About Me. Vinyl really, or CDs? Sorry? Vinyl or CDs? Oh, definitely vinyl. Favourite yeah. food? Curry. First album you purchased? Probably Vienna by Ultravox. The Jam or The Clash? Good question. Jam, definitely, 100%. Never mind The Bollocks or The Great Rock and Roll Swindle? God almighty, The, the Great Rock and Roll Swindle's appalling. Never mind The Bollocks, appalling. Neighbours or Coronation Street? Neither. Favourite colour? Red. Pizza or fish and chips? Pizza. <laughs> Okay, your time's up. I'm the first one. I was way too long on. Yeah, I think I was sort of overthinking it. You know, yeah, that's what I said. The first thing that comes to mind. Don't explain it. Just answer it. I ruined myself on the first one. Really, you wanted to talk about most of the things as well. Yeah. It's really hard yeah, to switch no, from questions. that, I, yeah. I, I wouldn't mind doing, doing the rest of them. Just that. <laughs> I see, I can't disclose them all because I might use them for somebody else. <laughs> well, that's it, yeah. Exactly. Um, you've got to stick to the format, haven't you? Well, that's right. And it's a bit of a different way to end an interview, I think. And most people that I've done it with have said that they've enjoyed it. It's been fun. So, yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. I love, I love that idea. It's great. I'm, I'm, I was a bit thrown by... Great rock and roll swindle. I've got to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> they, were, they were a good question. I thought, nah, well, you see, I tried to find. Um, I tried to make up questions that sort of yeah, fit yeah, the person good. that I'm yeah, interviewing. Yeah. yeah. Jam and Jam and Clash is a diff, difficult one. Must that, that was a difficult one. Absolutely. Both really great groups. Yeah. That, yeah. That, that was good. I like I like that question. It's like <laughs> both almost there, but yeah. Jam, I do I do have a real soft spot for, for the Jam. Though, almost there. Yeah. So do I. Yeah. Okay, well, we're going to uh, wind this up now. So thank you once again, Neil, for joining me. No, pleasure. Um, Enjoyed it. <laughs> you've been a great um, great guest to chat to, actually, very interesting. Um, and I hope that everyone who listens finds this as interesting and enjoyable as I did. 
please oh, make no. sure I... that you listen. If, if you're listening, please make sure you visit um, Neil's podcast series and subscribe and whatever else he, he requests you to do there. Yeah, no, it would be great to get subscribers. I got my first one the other day. It's only $2.99 a month. But, you know, it does guarantee you exclusive information. But, Excellent. you know, that's how it goes. That's how it goes? <laughs> that's, your, that's, that's your attempt to make some money? <laughs> well, that's it. I mean, you know, I don't know what to say. I mean, um, I'll still carry on doing the podcast, but it would be nice to have subscribers because that gives you the fuel to, to do even more. And, you know, it would be nice to have, have it as gainful employment. Absolutely. Well, all we can do is hope that it works out that way for you. Yeah, you never know. You, <laughs> you never don't. Know. Yeah, you never know. That's for sure. Okay, so all of the information and links relating to today's interview will uh, will be located in the description field of the podcast here. Um, anyone that's out there listening, please feel free to send in a message if you have any ideas or requests for future banded about podcast guests. And most importantly, make sure that you subscribe to receive your notifications when the next podcast becomes available. Thanks again for listening.